morning, everyone. This has been good, huh? Been good. And one of the amazing things that uh, is at the heart of our faith is when people encounter God, and then their lives are made new, they're changed. We're going to talk a little bit about that today, and uh, hear again from Jesus. We're in this story campaign. If you're visiting with us, it's a chronological version of the Bible. It's just put together differently. Most of it's scripture, of course, but uh, we're marching through the story. We're hearing about God's story. The eternal plan of God from the Garden of Eden till Jesus returns again. We're learning about our story, the lower story, how people engaged uh, the, the, their faith in, in God uh, um, from the beginning through the person of Christ and so forth, and uh, what our story can look like because of this book. And uh, I want everybody to know here, you're invited into the lower story, you know that. We've heard from some folks today who have been welcomed in, it's fantastic, and uh, Wonderful, wonderful news. So let me pray and I'll ask God to work. Great, gracious God, we do believe that uh, not only are you real, but that you are here. And that, Lord, you can reveal yourself to people in a new way. And you can draw them to yourself so that, indeed, they become your children by faith. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus came so long ago to tell us this story. And ultimately to die on a cross so that our sin might be forgiven, that we might be brought into relationship with you. And Lord, we're here today. We just want to hear from you again. Um, touch our lives. Open our ears to hear. Open our eyes to see what we've never heard or seen before. That we can live this lower story with you. That, Lord, we can encounter you and know your grace and your goodness. So be with us now, Lord, and speak clearly into our lives, we pray. And, uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was thinking this week about a question that I've often um, heard of and, and thought of. You're probably the same, but it's, it's a very simple question. If you could have a meal, sit down and have a good long talk over dinner with somebody living or dead, who would it be? Ever thought about that one? You know, uh, Wayne Gretzky? Anybody want to have dinner with Wayne, the great one, or Sid the Kid? No hockey fans in the room. That's uh, regrettable. It could be anybody, any of the great politicians, John A. McDonald in Canada, you know, building that national railway and all the drinking he did to get us there, you know. <laughs> JFK, Martin Luther King Jr. in the States, uh, like wonderful characters of history and people who are alive today. I think of biblical characters. I think of the Apostle Paul, like he was a character. Man, would that be an interesting dinner. I think he'd do most of the talking and I'd do most of the listening and he'd be telling me what he thought because that's the kind of guy he was. Think about Peter and his stories of his experience with Jesus or, or John and so forth that goes. You probably have people in your mind that you might want to have a meal with, and I think it would be a fascinating thing to do. But I want to ask you, what do you think it would be like to have dinner with Jesus? You know, I thought about it this week, and, and I began to realize I probably could not predict what dinner would be like with him. I mean, I've read about him most of my life. I've, I've been in relationship with him in the way that, of course, we can. I've, I've read scripture about his life, but I still think I would sit down with, with Jesus and he would say things that would shock me. Because that's what happened to people in the New Testament. They, 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 they were with him, but over and over and over again, he showed how incredibly different he was in his thinking and in his mind and in his heart. So I, I don't know that I can predict what that meal would be like. I'd love to do it, though. Maybe someday I will, right? But I want to talk today about what I've introduced, this idea that Jesus was and is 
different. You ever think about that? I think sometimes we think Jesus is a lot like us. But the reality is he was then and he today is incredibly different. We looked at the birth narratives of Jesus last week, the stories of his birth. We found out that he was the unique son of God born into this world in a stable. The creator God laid in a feeding trough in a barn with animals and it was probably, as I said, smelly and cold. That's different. Like that's remarkably different. Who would think of that? Would you? No, God thought of that. And, and you know, we're told about, about who he was, and it makes all the sense in the world of this little one who was born was the literal son of God, the divine one among us, that when he would grow up, he would say and do things that were remarkably different, that he wouldn't be like us. So we're going to jump into chapter 23 of the story today, and we're going to look at Jesus, and I want to show you how incredibly different he was and what that means for you, okay? Going to start with, guess what? His baptism. Have to do that today, right? I'm going to read it for you, and we'll just spend a few uh, moments on it, not spend a lot of time here, but it needs done. Matthew 3.16, verse, uh, sorry, page 322 uh, in the story. Um. As soon as Jesus was baptized, so he went down into the water and John baptized him, John the Baptist, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. I want to tell you, that was a unique and a remarkable moment in human history. That the Spirit of God descended like a dove and the voice of God spoke, this is my son whom I love, in him I am well pleased. It was a remarkable moment when, when, when the uniqueness again of Jesus was described in the old translations that said, this is my beloved son. That word for beloved or loved here, <coughs> excuse me, literally means unique and precious. Incredibly different. Like no other. And it aligns so well with all those stories of his birth. And from this point forward, he is now ready to enter into ministry filled by God's spirit, uh, baptized and identified as the Son of God by God himself. Now, just before he then moves into his active ministry, he's about 30 years of age at this point, he has a remarkable experience um, in, a de in the desert with the devil. And I want to read that to you, uh, page 322, um, and it comes from Matthew 4, verse 1 and following. Then Jesus, and this is immediately after the baptism, which I just read to you. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. He's quoting scripture. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. You know, this, this, this was a remarkable moment. 
what we see here is the devil uh, trying to do what he has to this point been absolutely successful in doing, and that is separate people from God. Think about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Edom, Eden. They were in relationship with God. Everything was wonderful and good, and then the, the devil came along to tempt them, and they sinned, and they were separated from God. They were cast out of the garden, no longer in relationship with God. You know the word, uh, the, the Greek word, the original word, if you would, for devil is? It's diabolos. It means to divide. The devil is a divider. And he primarily divides people from God, and then he divides people from people. So that they might be at war not only with God, but with one another. And, and from that moment when, when Adam and Eve were separated from God and sin entered into their hearts, as we've talked about so often, they had a sinful nature. And, and ever since that point, every human being on earth who has been born has been born with a sinful nature, a natural inclination to do what's wrong. Anybody here not like that? Put up your hand. I'd like to talk to you afterwards. Because it doesn't exist. It's in us. It's easy so often to do what's wrong. Well, here what happens in this text is that the devil's trying to do exactly the same thing with Jesus. Do you see this? Understand that if, Jesus, if the devil can get Jesus to sin, his ministry will fail before it begins. He will have been also separated from God. <coughs> Excuse me. And what we're seeing here very literally, literally is a reenactment of the Garden of Eden. Have you thought of this before? Um... The devil says to Jesus three times, if you are God, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, three times. This is immediately after God from heaven has spoken to Jesus' life and said, you are my son. And what the devil's trying to do is to, to sow these seeds of doubt into the mind of Jesus about what God has spoken, the word of God. It's exactly the same as what happened in Eden. Did God really say the devil said to Eve, sowing seeds of doubt about what God had said. And then the first temptation comes along. Jesus is hungry from fasting for more than a month. And, and, and the devil says, you're hungry. Turn the stones into bread. You can do that. He starts with food. Ring a bell? You know, the, the fruit that was offered to Eve and that she and Adam Eight, second temptation, temp pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem. Throw yourself down, the devil says, and the angels will come and carry you to safety. You will be known as God. Essentially what he was saying in the Eden <laughs> to Eve is you'll be like him when your eyes are opened. You see it? And a similar thing, a third temptation, take him to a mountain, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world as if they were his to give. Guess who's the creator? And I'll give you glory and power, and you will be like God. But you have to worship me first. You know what Jesus did with each of these three temptations? Absolutely nothing. And for the first time in human history, a human being resisted the temptation of evil. It's a powerful moment. Later on, I'm just going to take a minute with this because I think it's so cool and I want you to know it. Later on, the Apostle Paul is in, in Romans and I believe Corinthians talks about the first Adam and the second Adam. Have you read that? The first Adam being the Adam of the garden, Adam and Eve, who fell into sin, developed a sinful nature, produced a race of people who had a sinful nature and who were separated from God. The second Adam being Jesus, who resisted the temptation and produced a nation of people 
who were holy in the sight of God. It's an amazing thing. A new race of people made so by the work of Christ on the cross. What's, what's the lower story in this one? What's it all mean for us? I want to tell you, first of all, if you are in Christ, if you believe in him, if you are his child through faith in him, you are part of that new race of people. We're not perfect, but my friends, we must see ourselves in Jesus in this story. Because when we come into a relationship with God, our sin is forgiven. It is gone. And we become what the Bible calls the righteousness of Christ. God the Father looks at us, and what does he see? Sinless perfection. Now, don't go around saying, hey, man, I, I'm sinlessly perfect. <laughs> We're getting there, and someday we'll be there. But when we are seen in Christ, we are in him, even in that moment. Second thing we can do, my friends, and I want, I want you to key in on this, is we can come to a place in our life where we experience what Jesus encountered in that day in growing measure, so much so that we can say no to temptation as well. We can see ourselves sinning less and less and less and less, not by our own power, but by the power and the grace of God at work within us. Wouldn't that be cool? How does that happen? Very quickly, number one. Let me find number one because I reordered the whole thing this morning. There it is. We have to know who we are. Know your identity in Christ. And, and don't ever waver from it. Know who you are as a child of God, his precious possession, his beloved people. Number two, be filled with the Holy Spirit of God as Jesus was. I ask you this right now. Are you filled with the Spirit? We're filled with the Spirit when we spend time in the Lord's presence, where, when, when we confess our sin, when the Word of God comes in us and lives in us, and we are empowered to be the people God calls us to be. Are you filled, and do you normally live that way? Because the reality is a lot of Christians don't live that way. They believe, but they're not filled, and they're not empowered to say no to sin, but you can be every day and overcome. Number three, know the Word of God. It's been a bit of a theme for a while here, right? But when Jesus responded to the devil, each time he quoted scripture, he had been in the wilderness, obviously he was dwelling upon it, he knew it by memory, and he refuted the power of evil by the power of the word of God. I was uh, on holidays a few weeks ago, I told you I was reading a book by Dallas Willard, a fantastic author whom I hope you all read, because he's a great, great guy to read. And he said in that text, it is more important for Christians to memorize Scripture than to have their daily time with God. I thought, whoa, that's a significant statement from such a remarkable mind, godly man. But he said when the Scripture is in our minds and we can recall it when we need to, the truth of God is in our minds, and when the truth of God is in our minds, it will determine our lives. My friends, not only do we have to know it, we have to memorize it, and we have to use it. Number one, Jesus was an incredibly different human being, the first one in human history who said no to sin. My friends, we can be different too by learning in increasing measure to become like him, that we can say no to sin too. Second thing where Jesus was really different. Um, I'm going to do this one more briefly, but it's, it's really cool in my mind. He was incredibly different from everyone who opposed him. Do you know Jesus spent his three years in ministry basically in a battle with a lot of people? We don't think of it this way. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, you know, the little prayer we learned. He was a tower of strength confronting what was going on in his society because the religious 
Dynamic in that way, day was literally keeping people from God. Um, there were all these different sects in Israel. There were Pharisees, and there were Sadducees, and there were Herodians, and there were Essenes, and there were a bunch of different groupings. There were about 6,000 people in total who had joined those various uh, groupings. But all of them had gotten off track because their faith had grown distinct from the Old Testament teaching. They weren't on track. They were off track. <clears throat> Jesus came along, and because his teaching was so in line with the word of God, he just bashed heads with them constantly, sometimes in real anger. He was incredibly different from the norm in that day. I want, I want to read some of these texts to you, and I want to root my idea about what I'm going to say to you um, about his difference in this way in the idea of the authority that he exercised. Um, I'm going to read page 329. It is uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 21 uh, in Scripture. Just a, a one, or, one or two verses says, they went up to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, and Jesus often fought these people about what it meant to do the Sabbath well. When the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and he began to teach. The people were, listen, amazed at his teaching. This teaching was different. This was new. Amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Jesus spoke with authority. Now, what happened in that day is that the, the rabbis who would teach, Jesus was a rabbi, means teacher. Um, they would teach, but they would always base what they had to say on the authority of a previous rabbi. So one rabbi would come along and say, well, I think this because that rabbi said it before me. And another rabbi would come along, no, he's wrong. I think this because another rabbi said it over here. And on and on it went, like there's endless debate. And Jesus came along and he didn't give reference to anybody. He spoke on his own authority because he was God. He didn't need to reference anybody else. He knew the truth and he spoke it with real power. And these people had never heard this before. Page 331. Listen to this. Um, Jesus had healed a man and, and, and told the man his sins were forgiven. And then this. Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that they, uh, his opposers. Did I give you a text for that one, guys? Mark 1, I believe. 21, yeah, I'll just read it. Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, that they were so opposed to what he was saying. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk, which is exactly what had happened. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has, listen, authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to this man, I tell you, take up your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of all of them. Listen again, this amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. This man, Jesus, was different. Not only did he speak with authority, he acted with authority. He healed people of incredible illness, and he forgave their sin. And what it comes to, and I'm just going to tell you this for the sake of time really quickly, what it comes to in the end of the day, one day Jesus is, healed somebody in the Sabbath, and these other folks came along, and they confront him about it um, because they thought the Sabbath was all about fulfilling these laws and regulations and so forth. And in the end of the day, Jesus, because he was God, because he knew the reality of, of what this faith was about, we knew what this Old Testament was really teaching. Um, he just did it anyway. He healed someone. And in that moment, they decided to band together and they were going to kill this man because he was too different from us. 
He's threatening our hold on the people. He's threatening our power. He's threatening our privilege and our position. So we're going to kill him. This is the religious crowd, right? These are the clerics of the day. And guess what? In the end of the day, they did. That's why Jesus was crucified from a human perspective. What does all this mean for us? Well, let me ask you this question. Um, whose authority do you believe and live by? Who do you really listen to and take to heart what is spoken? And how do you live as a result? Um, I want to say, my friends, we have to live by the authority of the word of God, both as spoken by Jesus, the word of God in the flesh, and the scripture, the word of God written. You know who a lot of people listen to today? And I know this might be slightly dated, but I want to say it because everybody gets it. Oprah. Don't put up your hand, but how many Oprah fans are here? You know what Oprah said? I used to hear it all the time. Oprah thinks this. And people just did it because Oprah said it. Dr. Phil, I know he's still on. I don't know if Oprah's still on. But if Dr. Phil said it, man, that guy is on the money. I'm going to raise my kids like that. <laughs> Whose authority do you base your life on? Social scientists? Psychologists? Psychiatrists as we raise our children? Like, they can be incredibly beneficial and helpful. But only as they enlighten what's said in the Bible. My friends, our authority has got to be first and foremost scripture. We have to know it, we have to believe it, and we have to live by it. And I'm here again to ask you in this now extended year of the Bible as we continue through the story. Are you digging into scripture? Are you understanding what it says? Are you hearing God speak through it? And are you basing your life on the authority of the word of God? Because there are multiple voices in our society who will tell you exactly opposite to what scripture says we as followers of Jesus need to figure out who we're going to listen to and as a result, how we're going to live. And by the way, just really briefly, just as Jesus functioned incredibly different on that Sabbath day and he exercised the power of God to bring healing in the life of a precious man, guess what we get to do? We get to be filled with the Spirit. We get to be the ones, the ones through whom the truth and the power of God flows into this world for the healing of the nations. My goodness, what about a, a lower story implication? Well, let's go on then to the last one. How Jesus was very, very different. Jesus was different in the message that he described in terms of how we are saved. How we are brought back into relationship with God. There was a man named Nicodemus. This is a great story. Nicodemus was a Pharisee one of those people that I described to you. He sat on the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. He was a powerful leader of the day. But he saw something, yes, different in Jesus. And he came to him at night. He wasn't stupid. He wasn't, he wasn't going to associate himself publicly with Jesus too quickly because others wanted him dead, Jesus dead. So he came to him at night and said, Jesus, I can tell there's something different in you, but I don't get it. Anybody here like that? Something, something different, something incredible, something remarkable, something good in Jesus, but I don't quite get it. Could you explain this to me? Let me read you the story. Page 326, uh, John 3, verse 1. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, that's a respectful term, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus said, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. 
I wonder what Nicodemus thought of that. Well, listen, how can somebody be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Like, he's not getting it. Like, at all. <laughs> Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You were Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you did not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man, referencing himself. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life. Listen to me, my friends. Jesus comes along to this man who is eager to know what's different about Jesus and to try to get into his head and try to get to that place where, where he understands what Jesus is about and Jesus sums it all up in this little phrase, you must be born again. Partly what I'm doing here today is to ask you, have you been born again? I don't care if you go to church all the time. I don't care if you consider yourself a religious. I'm saying, I don't care if you've been brought up in a Christian family. I don't care about any of that because apparently Jesus, all he cared about is that people were born again. What Jesus is talking about is new birth here, but it's not physical birth as Nicodemus misunderstood. It's actual, actually a spiritual birth by which you enter into new spiritual life with God. It's where you come to this place, this experience. We've heard about it a little bit this morning in beautiful, beautiful ways. Where you, where you enter into a life that you didn't have before, you didn't know about before. It's a new life. I've got a question for you. When, when all of you here were born, what did you have to do with it? You know, when, when, you, when that first physical birth happened in your experience, um, what did you do to make it happen? <clears throat> Answer? Absolutely nothing. Now, your parents had something to do with it. God had something to do with it. He formed you in the womb, the Bible says, made you the person that you are, which he treasures. But you had nothing to do with your physical birth. And Jesus is saying in a very similar way, when we come and we enter into the spiritual reality, when we're born again by the Spirit of God, we don't have anything to do with it. We don't make it happen. God does. See, it's like, like he says, the spirit moves like the wind. We hear it, but we don't know where it comes from. We don't know where it's going. It's all of a sudden the spirit of God comes and he acts and he changes our hearts so we come alive spiritually. You know, we're born into a new reality and it's an experience with God. We believe things we didn't believe before. We see things we didn't see before. We desire in our heart things that we didn't desire before. We have been changed by the work of God in our lives, and we access this dynamic experience by faith in Christ, and as we do so, we are reconciled with God. We are brought back into relationship with God so that there is no more separation between ourselves and him anymore. Now, Nicodemus, he didn't think like this. <laughs> like, 
This is so incredibly different than what this man had been taught all of his life. In his religious experience, the whole thing was about fulfilling the law. You know, in his mind, it's, it's all up to me to do the right thing. And if I do the right thing, then somehow God will approve of me. And I'll be in, I'll be in relationship with him. There were all the Old Testament laws that had been given then. Hundreds more had been created by the rabbis that I described to you earlier. And Jesus comes into Nicodemus' mind and into his life, and he says, you know, it's not up to you. It's not up to you. You can't do it. Look at the Old Testament, right? We, we spent some months in the Old Testament, all these people failing over and over and over and over again until God came and produced a new covenant in Christ because we couldn't do it. What Jesus is saying, while you can't do it and it's not up to you, what he is saying, it's up to God. It is God who does this. He works by his spirit and he leads us to spiritual life and faith is birthed in us. And all of a sudden, we are his precious children. We have been born again. Lower story, what does it mean? Let me impress this upon you. Human beings still, just like Nicodemus, consistently believe that they have to save themselves. Generation after generation after generation and multiply that by the thousands and it's always the same thing. We think we have to live a good enough life to somehow curry God's favor. We think we have to earn our salvation by being good. We're all born that way. We all believe it. And we try and we try and we try if we choose. That's why all human religions, to my knowledge, believe and are based on that premise except Christianity. But at some point, at some point in our lives, those of us who have entered into the kingdom, those of us who have been born again, those of us who've had our eyes open to see God and his beauty and his grace so much that we receive him and we seek forgiveness in the name of, of Christ and are given it and reconciled to God, at some point the spirit of God begins to work in our lives. You know, and we do, <clears throat> excuse me, we do stop, <clears throat> excuse me, we do stop rebelling against God. Stop fighting his rule in our lives. And we submit to him, knowing that he's good and knowing that he loves us and he'll never harm us. We start believing, not in our own ideas or those of Oprah or Dr. Phil or whoever else you might listen to. We start believing in the authority of the word of God and living according to it because we know it is right and we know it is good. Our hearts are changed, so we long to do the, that which is right. You know, we long to, to honor God and to do what the Bible says is right because it leads to blessing and goodness. You see, we stop <clears throat> essentially relying on ourselves and we enter into this relationship with God and we are changed. New birth, new person, new life. So my question for you today, my friends, is have you been born again? Have you given up trying to save yourself? Have you given up living in that mindset where you think that if I just live in, in a good enough fashion, somehow God will approve of me and let me into his heaven someday? If you're still there, you're not where you need to be. Ephesians 2.8, not by works so that no one can boast. We're saved by, by grace through faith. It is a gift of God that he by his spirit gives to us. And all we're left to do is say, yes, Jesus, come into my life and forgive me for my sin. 
and let me be yours forever. Have you had your eyes open to see God as God is, not a threat, but a God of love? Have you had your heart changed where you long to do what's right and good just because he calls you to it? Are you starting to think according to scripture and base your life upon it? You know, maybe the, 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 the most different thing of all that I'm describing to you today is the reality of what's spoken to us in John 3.16, 3.27. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What did God do with a bunch of rebellious people whose hearts were turned away from him and who were angry with him and who refused to submit to him and only thought bad things about him? People who had walked away from him from the garden on. <laughs> he loved us to the point of sending his son who would die in a cross for us. That's different, right? That's just incredibly different. My friends, in the end of the day, we, we boil it all down, and what we see is that Jesus is remarkably different in this world than anybody who has ever lived, certainly and particularly up until that point. You know why? He was different because he was God. If he had been the same as us, we'd have to ask a few questions about that claim, wouldn't we? But he was God, and he was different. And we who are now his, guess what? We're called to be Different, too. Different. Different in, 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 in having that capacity by the enablement and power of God's spirit through the authority of the word of God to resist temptation and overcome. We're different because we're righteous in God's eyes, but we can then start to live it out. Are you? We're different because... We come to that place too. <clears throat> we don't want to be like the world anymore. We don't want to be like people anymore. We actually want to be really different even if it means being considered strange, odd, or weird, because we're living by a different, a different book, by a different authority. It's the authority of God. And you know what? We believe in a different gospel. Not something that people naturally think, but something's been revealed to us, and we have stepped into this spiritual life. We have been born again. And now our life has been reconciled with the Lord God, the creator of all the universe, and we are his. We are his. See, Jesus came to do a remarkable thing, but he came as a very different human being. He came as the divine one who was also fully human, and he came to bring his life. Does anybody here today sense the Lord saying to them, it's time for you to take that step. It's time for you to open up your life to me. It's time for me to confess my sin in the presence of God so that I can start to engage this life that Jesus lived and that we're called to. You know, I was really, I was really moved and incredibly grateful about the stories we heard today. You know what? I didn't know I was involved in that. So thank you. That was a blessing to me. Um, but I know there are times when we gather together that the Spirit of God shows up like the wind and he moves in the minds and in the hearts of people. <clears throat> and it is time for people to say yes to Jesus. And if there's anybody here today, anybody, who senses, this is my time. I know that the Lord is speaking to me and he's offering me this relationship with him. He's offering this opportunity for me to be reconciled with God. 
I mean, we're just going to do what we often do in this church is we'll just have a moment of silence and a minute in prayer. I'll start it off and I'll leave it for you to pray as you choose. But just say, yes, Lord Jesus, I want you to come into my life. I believe that what you did on the cross when you died was to bear my sin, to take my penalty, my punishment, so that I can be free of it. And yes, I pray that you will forgive my sin. And I pray that you'll come into my life and from this day forward I will follow you. And in that moment, my friends, difference invades humanity. And lives are changed. And more than that, eternities are changed by the grace of God. Anybody here today need to be born again? Simply say yes to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we know that uh, by your spirit, you, you move like the wind. Don't know where it comes from. We don't know where it's going. But Lord, we know that it's present. God, it may be time today for some people in this room just to open their lives to you as they've never done it before, to confess their sin, to invite Christ, to receive Christ into their lives. Lord, we pray that you would work now and that people would respond as they choose to you. If you'd like to receive Christ, just tell them that you want him in your life. Confess your sin to him. Jesus, what an amazing thing it is when a human being encounters God through you. And they enter into that new life, that new spiritual life, by just saying yes to you. Lord God, we just pray for those who have opened their hearts to you today and just pray that you would enable them, that you would strengthen them, that you, you would build your relationship with them and give them the capacity, Lord, to build their relationship with you from this point forward. Bless what has been done here today as you have drawn people close again to you. Lord, we praise you for scripture. We praise you for its truth. We praise you that in it we find the source of life in Jesus. God, my prayer for this entire congregation is as we, the people of Jesus, go from this place in a little while, we will go from here ready to be different as we confront evil and temptation and overcome it. Lord, as we encounter those who disagree with us, as we live our lives based on the authority of your word, Lord, as we as people who have been made new in Christ, born again, born into a spiritual life, Lord, help us to live it out with vigor, with energy. Let us encounter you every day of our lives and live for you in all that we do. Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for being the unique person that you were. Thank you for dying on the cross for us and being raised to new life. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done, that all 
we have to do is say yes to God. Thank you, Lord, for this life that we now have in you. Help us to live it with joy, with gladness, with freedom. Help us to live in relationship with you. This we pray in Christ's name.